Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I remember the Sunday before my father in the ministry died. I was in college, sophomore in college, and he died of a massive heart attack on a Sunday afternoon as he was talking to one of his dear friends on the phone. Sunday before, he preached a sermon on what he expected to see when he got to heaven. I wondered about that for a long, long time, and I came to an understanding that in many instances, Christian people know, they sense, when it is time for them to go home. And though he never expressed it to me, I was his associate pastor, and he never expressed it to anyone else that I know of, I think he sensed that in his heart, in his spirit, and it was time for him to go. And he painted a beautiful picture of what he could see in his mind's eye that heaven would be like. It's one of the most beautiful expressions of heaven that I've ever heard from a preacher. And then the Lord took him home. I think many of us have within our spirit a longing to go home, to be with the Lord. And I think a lot of us sense in our spirit that that time is drawing very near, that it won't be long, as the songwriter wrote, it won't be long, soon I'll be leaving here. I think as I read through Scripture, as I study prophecy, and as I am given to understand the times are short. The day is drawing to a close, and our Lord's return is at hand. But until that time, we have some living to do. Amen? Yep. Until we hear that trumpet, there are things that should occupy our lives, things that should occupy our time and our energy and our effort. We've been several Sundays now in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and today 
I think we'll wrap up this doctrine of sanctification, which doctrine by no means we have exhausted at all. There is so much more that we could say. There is certainly so much more the scripture says about living the Christ life. But I believe it is time that we move on to some of the other things that the Apostle Paul has given to the church at Philippi and to us as well when we read the book of Philippians. And so in this last sermon on this particular text, I want to remind us once again that there are two aspects, two aspects, specific aspects, to living the sanctified life. And again, don't be daunted by that word sanctified. It simply means to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It means to live a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctified life. The first aspect, as we've already stated, is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's found in verse 12, Philippians chapter 2. The second aspect is that it's God working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And that's found in verse 13. We've discussed in detail working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We've talked about that last Sunday. This morning, I want us to kind of look more in detail to God working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. For a Christian to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the goal of being a Christian in the first place, it's the goal of being saved, according to Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, there must be a cooperative effort a cooperative effort between God's Holy Spirit and the Spirit within the Christian. A working together in concert with each other that we should live a life that mimics the life of Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 3, God called Moses to go to Egypt and to confront Pharaoh and demand the release of the Hebrew slaves. But Moses had to go to Egypt and confront Pharaoh if the Hebrew slaves were going to be released. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called 12 men to be his disciples. But they had to leave everything behind and follow Jesus if they were to be disciples. Nancy and I wanted our daughters to grow up 
to be morally responsible Christian women. And so we did all that we could do to make that happen. But they had to follow our example and our instruction and our discipline in order for that to happen. And they have. And so I want us to understand again this dynamic of cooperative effort between God and man, between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of man, to work out the salvation in reality, in life, this salvation that God has placed within us through Jesus Christ. While we are working out his salvation with fear and trembling, it is God who is working in us to ensure that that happens. In other words, you cannot work out if God is not working in. You cannot work out if God is not working in. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, a leper came to Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched the leper, saying, I am willing, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy was gone. But the leper could not have been healed unless he came to Jesus, seeking his healing. Jesus could not have healed the leper if he had not come to Jesus and asked to be healed. The leper, working out his faith in Jesus, came to Jesus asking to be healed. Jesus, working in the leper's life, giving him faith to believe that indeed Jesus could heal him. And he did. I've repeated this principle several times to help us get the point, to help us understand what living the sanctified life, what living the Christ life, what living out your salvation in your daily life is really all about. And so let's turn again to Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to look at verse 12 and verse 13. Stand with me again if you will please in honor of God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is the word of God. We pray his blessing on the reading of his word. You may be seated. The first observation that I want to make from verse 13 is this. 
It is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. Now, think about this. Think about this. These are not just words on a page. This is not some theological idea. We should be supremely humbled, supremely humbled, and count it an honor and a privilege that the only true and living God, the holy and sovereign Lord of the universe, should work in us anything, anything at all, let alone His good pleasure. For God to work in me means that He knows me. You understand that? For God to work in you means that He knows you. I often wonder, who am I among the billions of people on this planet? Who am I that God would take even the slightest notice of me at all? Charles Goodman wrote many years ago the lyrics to a song that I dearly love. Who am I that the king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray not my will, thine for? The answer I may never know. Why he ever loved me so, but to an old rugged cross he would go. For who am I? David, the shepherd king, wrote in Psalm 8, a passage that Pastor Chris read at the beginning of the worship service. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? That God would love us so much that God would love you so much, that God would love me so much, that He would send His Son Jesus to die on a cross. That Jesus would love us so much that He would be willing to go to that cross. That the Holy Spirit would love us so much that He would open our mind to understand this great love of God in Christ Jesus is in itself a wonder of all wonders. 
You are not a number. You're not someone who occupies a space, a place. You are someone that God knows personally. And because he knows you personally, it is his desire to work in you his good pleasure. You know, he doesn't work in everyone his good pleasure. But if you are a Christian, he has chosen to work in you his good pleasure. But now that he has saved us, his desire is to work in us so that we can work His salvation out into our very lives, living for Him with godly awe and honor and respect every day that we live. Second, it is God who works in you. The word work, we've already expressed this a couple of Sundays ago, it means to empower. It means to empower. It means to give you the ability to do something. Most cars have engines. And those engines produce power. And that power is used to move the car down the road. God, through His Holy Spirit, indwelling you and indwelling me, if indeed we are Christian, gives us power to do certain things. It is God who empowers us to live out the sanctified life, to live out that salvation that He has gifted us in Christ Jesus. It is God who calls us to holiness. And it is God who empowers us to be holy as He is holy. To live a life separated from sin, from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. It is God who calls us to be righteous. And it is God who empowers us to live a morally correct life. A life that is not defined by our culture but demonstrates his standards and values and principles in this, godly, this godless culture. It is God who calls us to Christ Jesus, to be saved in Christ Jesus. And it is God who draws us by his Holy Spirit to Jesus that we might indeed be saved. Now these things we cannot do apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look with me at John chapter 14. Turn in your Bibles back to the Gospel of John chapter 14. I want us to look at verses 15, 16, and 17. John 14. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, 
Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The word helper, another helper, and that word another means one like me. The one same as I am. The word helper is paraclete. And the idea of paraclete is to come alongside, to assist, to come alongside, to help. Jesus said, I will send you one who is like me, who will come alongside you to help you. And he will guide you into all truth. Aletheia, truth, aletheia. It is an absolute. It is not a relative word. It's an absolute term. It means those things that are certain, those things that are reality, those things that are right, especially as they pertain to God. In John chapter 14, look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. To teach. Didasco. To teach. It means to instruct. It means to explain. But I like Joseph Henry Thayer's definition of the word. It means to hold discourse with others in order to help them understand. And the reason I like that is because it describes exactly what the Holy Spirit has been sent to do in your life and in my life. He engages in discourse. He speaks with us as we speak with him. And in our discourse, in our conversation together, he reveals to us the things that we are to understand. He explains to us what these words in Scripture mean. He, all, he details for us how these truths of God are to be fleshed out in your life. I love the way that Joseph Henry Thayer defines the word didasco. It's exactly the dynamic that existed between Jesus and his disciples as they would go from village to village, from town to town. And as they would ask him questions, he would explain. And as he would ask them questions, and they couldn't have, even begin to have a clue as to what he was talking about, he would explain to them those truths, those mysteries, those dynamics of the kingdom of God so they could understand it, so they could take it in. So they could hold on to it. Look in chapter 16, John 16, verses 8 through 13. John 16, verses 8 through 13. And when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. 
and he will tell you things to come. Notice the words that Jesus gives us here in these few verses. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict, is what Jesus says. Elenko. To convict, it means to bring to the light. It means to uncover. It means to expose. He's going to convict the world of sin. Hamartia. Sin. Things that are offensive to God. Things that stir up God's wrath. Things that displease God. And so what Jesus is saying here is, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will awaken our consciousness to those things that displease God in our life. Those things that are offensive to Him. He will expose them. He will uncover them so that we can see them for what they truly are. Jesus also says that he will convict the world of righteousness. Of righteousness. Dikaiosune. Those things which God says are morally right. Those things which God approves. So the Holy Spirit again comes and he brings to light, he exposes, he uncovers those things, those standards of conduct that are acceptable to God. I remember as a teenager in a Sunday school class, a Sunday school teacher was asked the question by one of the members of the Sunday school class, what is sin? And our Sunday school teacher, he said, well, what may be sin to you may not necessarily be sin to me. And immediately I said, what? I object. I no. If sin is relative, then we can say anything is sin or anything is not sin. What may be sin to you may not be sin to me. What is sin to me may not necessarily be sin to you. Where's the standard? Where's the standard whereby we can understand what sin really is? No. My teacher was wrong. The standard of righteousness, which determines what is sin and what is not sin, the standard of righteousness is what God says is morally right and what God says is morally wrong. That's an absolute again for those of you who are of the generation that don't believe in absolutes. God has set a standard, and that standard will be maintained, if not here on the earth, then before the judgment throne of God. And we need to understand that because our world is drunk under the power of self-delusion. 
We can say whatever we want and we can believe whatever we want and we can live our lives by that saying or by that belief. Thinking that we are the ultimate in accountability. But their last breath in this life and their next breath in the next life will prove them to be ultimately wrong in their assessment of what is right and what is wrong. God sets the standard and God will judge according to that standard. Third, he says that the Holy Spirit when he comes will convict of judgment. He will reveal judgment. And judgment here, according to the text, is not God's judgment upon me for my personal sin, but God's judgment upon Satan. And I, I pray, I wish, that we would understand this. We would let it sink down, you know, take the 18-inch journey from the brain to the heart and help us understand that in Christ Jesus, Satan has been judged. And those who believe in Jesus Christ are not bound by him anymore. We are not bound by the power of Satan. And we do not live under the influence of Satan anymore. We have been freed from Satan and his sinful tactics. And we are free because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, if you are under the influence of Satan, and if you continue to live a lifestyle of sin, that's your choice. It is because you have not chosen to believe that Jesus died on the cross to free you from the power of Satan. You don't have to live in sin anymore. Jesus died. And in his dying words, he said, it is finished. The sin debt has been paid in full. You don't owe Satan anything. Satan's power has been relinquished. And the power of God's Holy Spirit in you has set you free through Jesus Christ. All of these things and so, so much, much more that we can't even begin to scratch the surface of are the empowerments of God in the life of the Christian. But third, it is God who works in you to will and to do. To will and to do. To will, fellow. It speaks of desire. It speaks of willingness. It, it means to stir up the desire, it means to motivate you to be willing. But not only does God work in you to will, He also works in you to do. In ergo. In ergo. From which we get the English word energy. It means to be active. It means to work, especially with energy in that work. Let me ask you a question. Answer it in your own mind. How hard is it to live a holy life? How hard is it to live a righteous 
life. How hard is it to live a life separated from the world, the flesh, and the devil? How hard is it to do everything that you do according to the standards that God has set as being morally right or morally wrong? How hard is it to live the sanctified life, the Christ life? Listen to me. If God does not work in me to will and to do, then I won't will or do. You understand? If God is not working in you, if God is not stirring up the desire in you, if God is not empowering you and giving you the energy that is necessary to live a life that pleases Him, you will not live a life that pleases Him. But because He has saved you and because He has sent His Holy Spirit to indwell you, you have the power to live a holy life. You have the power to live a righteous life. You have the power to live the Christ life. If God does not stir up the desire in me to live for Jesus, then I will not live for Jesus. If God does not stir up the desire for me to be active in conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, then I would sit down and say, forget it. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to live my own life. I want to set my own course. I want to follow my own directions. I want to achieve my own goals. You mean even a Christian? Especially a Christian. Especially a Christian. It is God who loved us and sent His Son to save us. We did not love God until, first of all, God loved us. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We cannot save ourselves from the righteous judgments of God for sin. The church cannot save us. The preacher cannot save us. The ordinances cannot save us. The sacraments cannot save us. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as the result of works that no one should boast. Paul writes in Ephesians or excuse me, in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. He saved us. We love Him because He first loved us. We are saved because He called, He foreknew, and He predestined us to salvation. He extended us grace and gave us the faith to believe. And He drew us through the power of His Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ who is able to save us. Now that we are saved, Ephesians 2 verse 10, 
We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live them. In other words, we bring to fruition. We bring to fruition the salvation that He's given to us, while at the same time He works in us to will and to do His good pleasure. It is the cooperative effort of the Spirit of God in us and the Spirit of the Christian in Christ Jesus. But what is God's good pleasure? Well, this is my final point. What is God's good pleasure? It's His perfect will. It's His delight. It's the things, it, it's the purpose. It's the purpose for which you and I live and for which we have been saved. Well, I don't understand that. How, how, how am I to know this? How am I to work this out? I, I believe it's tied intimately with the spiritual gifts that God has given us through His Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at that, if you will, please. Turn right to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. <clears throat> One Corinthians twelve verses four through eleven. The Apostle Paul writes, There are diversities of gifts. Diversities simply means many and varied. Many and varied. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. It'd take me a month to get through those verses, but you need to read them again and again and again and let the truth of God's Word sink into your mind. We have, the modern day Christian church has so corrupted, so manipulated, so distorted this passage of Scripture, that we have all kinds of different religious groups that are doing all kinds of things in the name of Jesus Christ that are not biblical at all. Certainly not consistent with the truth that the Apostle Paul gives us in, 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. But what he does say here, notice, let me condense this down for us. What he does say here is that the varieties of gifts enable us to engage in the varieties of ministries that have varieties of results that, first of all, bring honor and glory to the Lord, and second of all, build up and strengthen the church so that the church can do its work. 
The Holy Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, has given you spiritual abilities. Doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter if you're in full vigor health or if you're still sick and and still dealing with health issues. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit has given you spiritual abilities to carry on the kingdom's work to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ and to the building up of the ministries of the church. It's the same God. Notice, it is the same God who works all things in all persons. In all persons. You catch that? It is God who works all things in us. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to the Philippian church, chapter 2, verse 13. As we are working out the salvation that he has blessed us with, With awe and with wonder and with respect and with honor, God continues to work in us, empowering us to do that very thing. Since the Holy Spirit gifts us with wisdom and knowledge, faith and healing, miracles and prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, faith, prayer, hospitality, administration, music. All of these gifts are mentioned in Scripture. As the Holy Spirit gifts us with these things, He also empowers us to engage in the ministries using these gifts to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ and to build up and to strengthen the church so it can do its work in this community. So now, what's the end of it? What's the end of it? If we are Christian, then we are in the process of living a sanctified life. We are in the process of being sanctified, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are not saved. Please understand. We are not saved to sit as spectators in a myriad of religious activities that may or may not make us feel good. It's not what being saved is all about. We are saved to serve Jesus Christ and each other in His kingdom, doing His will according to the spiritual gifts that He has given us to do. Now, sanctification is not an easy process. It's not a walk in the park. It's not a piece of cake. It takes work. What do I mean? It takes work. It takes focus. It takes determination. It takes commitment to Jesus Christ. It takes discipline to know and to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life every single day. It takes work to be totally dependent upon God. When Moses went to Egypt, there was nobody he could lean on, there was nobody he could be dependent upon. 
except God. When Jesus called the twelve, they left everything, even their families. There was no one that they could rely on. There was no one that they could lean on. There was no one that they could depend on except Jesus Christ. And for you and I to be called to serve the Lord and gifted by the Holy Spirit in that service, we have to totally depend upon the Lord if that is to be accomplished. But again... It is God in us, empowering us through His Holy Spirit, stirring up the desire to bring to light the hidden attributes of the salvation that He has gifted us with, the holiness and the righteousness that are inherent in every individual who names the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Stand with me. David will come and lead us as we sing. And as we leave this morning, may we just simply thank God for His blessings in our lives and the new week to come to be a difference maker in Christ's name. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Father, we pray as we leave the house of worship, we go into the field that is ripe unto harvest. Lord, I pray that as you have refreshed and renewed the aquifers, the lakes, the rivers, the reservoirs with rain from heaven, that you will renew our spirit from on high, that we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling as you continue to work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. May we be examples of Jesus Christ to those who have yet to know him. And I pray, Lord God, that through our lives, people will see Christ in us and be drawn to him because of us. Father, we have been in a spiritual drought for a long time now. We ask that you will once again restore and renew so that your kingdom will increase. Your name will be honored. Your son will be high and lifted up among us. May we go in the knowledge that your Holy Spirit goes with us to do his work in us as we do our work for you. This, to the honor and to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. 
If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.